And so I have to do like increasingly more difficult skateboard tricks, except I don't know how to skateboard. And everyone around me is like Tony Hawk's posse, because I assume in my dream that he has a posse. Uh, and they're all like hyping me uh-huh. up to do like increasingly more dangerous skateboard tricks. And I keep failing at them. And the dream always ends where I'm at like the top of a cartoonishly high half pipe. And I am about to drop in. Mm -hmm. I'm also afraid of heights. And so I have to drop into this half pipe that I assume Tony Hawk could drop into. But I, Indigo, could not. And uh, the dream always ends when I'm like midway through dropping down the half pipe. I feel like your brain just invented a Tony Hawk version of like the Shakespeare twin comedy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what that is. (laughs) That's wild. Uh, it's like Plautus is Manike me, except one of you is Tony Hawk. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and as always, I'm joined by Red. Hello. And our podcast producer, Indigo, is lurking in the shadows. We will hear more from Indigo later. Uh, Red, how's it going? I, I haven't talked to you since, like, uh, Tuesday when we did the stream, uh, but, yeah. oh, I'm sleepy. <laughs> I'm tired. I feel like I haven't existed since about that stream. We talked two days ago, oh, man. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, that's right. We, we, we yeah, we, we had our, uh, our, our, our friend group chat where, where sometimes we play D&D and sometimes we just, like, chill, talk about anything else. <laughs> well, I was going to say that I was sleepy and my brain wasn't working, but it seems like that's going around. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I, I had the uh, the pleasure of my, my dad uh, was in town this week because now that, you know, we're all we're all vaccinated. It's like I haven't seen you in a year and a half. I want to give you a hug and like eat a meal with you. Good God. So he was in town. Um, that was fun. Uh, it's like, ah, I, I forget that like people outside of my my immediate house still exist. I I don't know what happened. <laughs> They've gone this right? whole time and suddenly they're back. Yeah. The uh, world beyond. How crazy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, aside from that, we had a uh, surprisingly busy past couple weeks uh, in terms of channel content. We had uh, had some live streams, first time we'd done that in a few months. Uh, we mm. had some videos, and we tried out uh, some new bonus content in the form of shorts, which uh, I was really excited for the idea of it, and people really loved the core concept of the the City Minute um, series as, like, you know, one city in, you know, it's century of being in its prime or you know going through the most transformation and then all of that and you know 59 seconds or less really great series but uh got good feedback from uh commenters patrons everybody saying like this is really cool but what if it was like horizontal like a normal video so <laughs> loud and clear uh going forward they will all be uh normal <laughs> yeah it is we were interested to try it but it uh, for various reasons it doesn't end up making the most sense um so, oh well. Yeah, you know, the thing is, if, if it's a horizontal video and you're watching it on your phone, you just turn your phone sideways. But if it's a vertical video and you're watching on your, you know, computer, the opposite does not apply. It's yeah, no, you <laughs> kind of, kind of uh, backed into a corner. And it is still in beta, so who knows what features they might add later. So, um, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I appreciate, uh, for those of you who did leave a comment, uh, I'm glad because uh, we can, you know, we can kind of take guesses at, at how things will work out uh, all day and and try to, you know, like, game plan something uh, <laughs> to the infinitieth degree. But uh, it's also just, uh, you know, it works to put it out there, see what people think, and then adjust accordingly. So uh, I can go on forever, but uh, <laughs> it was fun. Uh, I, I like the concept, and people very instantly, uh, very swiftly twigged on to the fact that this is just uh, an excuse to give myself another uh, series medium uh, in which to talk about Venice and Florence. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> I am transparent. Uh, I'm giving it like a few months before we start getting Venice part two, (laughs) Venice part three, specifically this one building. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what the architecture series is for. Uh, Yeah. I'm I'm getting there. Yeah. No, Red, you had uh, the other day, you had a a folktale video, another one in the, in the kind of new uh, series that you started this year. Tell, uh, let's talk about uh, Prince Lindworm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That one was fun. Um, And weird. Uh, Folktales yeah. tend to be a little more, um, they're a little more loose than, uh, than myths in a certain way. They're, they're kind of, um, well, people were pointing out things like plot holes, and it's like, oh, honey, <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> That's how folktales work. It's not about internal coherence, it's, it's about the message. Um, 
And, you know, that's true with a lot of myths, too. But with with the mythology, most people have to point out plot holes like, hey, but the, this doesn't work with this other myth or this other story. You know, like yeah. they don't hold together overall because it's not, you know, an overarching canon. It's a set of self-contained stories. Uh, with folktales, it's, oh, man, anything can happen <laughs> as long as it forwards the plot. And the, the fun thing that I noticed is that a lot of people in the comments were talking about how they'd heard a different version of this yeah. story where it's almost entirely the same except instead of roses uh the queen eats onions and one of them she doesn't peel first and that's why the lindworm has <laughs> layers uh which is very funny but it's interesting that people were like surprised by this because this is like the way that folktales work mm -hmm. uh you, you'll have a folktale and then it gets told and told and like it makes its way like into the next valley over and details have changed and someone swapped out the name uh because Frankly speaking, the names are the least important part of the folktale because a lot of times people will be like, oh yeah, this happened to my cousin Ivan or, you know, my yeah. my buddy Frank. And, you know, then you just swap out the name. It doesn't matter. Um, the best one is where you, uh, there, there's um, certain uh, folktale from uh, from Siberia that when one guy was, was researching it, he found out that there are two different versions from two villages next to each other where uh, the bad guy village is the, the name of the other one, and they both <laughs> oh, tell the story God. in the opposite way. It's just like, oh, yeah, no, no, that makes perfect sense. It, it, it works easily. It yeah. makes total internal consistency. Yeah. And individual details from folktales will also drift because they are modular, like I said. You know, like um, mm -hmm. specific things will show up in, in a ton of different places or sort of transfer over from one to another. Um, I remember, oh, I took a class on this in college. Um, and there was a specific example that I, I only vaguely remember, but like you can often identify this from like the weird small details. There was there were a couple of folk tales that were otherwise completely different, but they both had this detail of like pearls on a plate that were broken to become two golden children. And it's like fuck is up with that. But you know, it, <laughs> you know, it's unlikely that that was some parallel evolution that probably came from one or the other, or like a common narrative ancestor and. You know, after a while, everything kind of starts looking like evolutionary biology, which is pretty hilarious. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the funniest but, part. <laughs> yeah, but the thing with the Prince Lindworm is, you know, top down, it's a very basic story structure. It's okay, we've got the, the monster groom and the human bride who saves him. It's very standard Eros and Psyche, Beauty and the Beast, um, East of the Sun, West of the Moon, I think does the same thing. It's, Actually, you know, one of my favorite details is that in the subtitles, uh, all of the character uh, descriptions are in brackets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's because like, I just copied my a script. beautiful princess. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that, I copied in my script. I thought I'd be able to like deliver it in a way that made it clear that it was like, oh, and this evil witch or whatever. But I, yeah. I ended up not going too overboard with that. But yeah, you know, top down, very basic structure. Uh, and then, you know, you throw in a little bit of rule of three. The first two princesses fail. The third humble one succeeds it's you know very standard stuff um I, I saw some people in the comments being like you know it makes sense that there's the rule of three I, i've heard that with three brothers it's usually the youngest and then some people were like well you know there's also three sisters and it's like guys it's the rule of three it shows up everywhere <laughs> it's not gendered it's you know it's yeah. everywhere um i uh I've been reading through more folktales recently, um, obviously, because I, I don't just, like, read stuff to immediately turn into videos. I do theoretically look into this stuff in my copious free time. And it's interesting because it's, while the, the rule of three is a thing, the more consistent rule is that uh, the last one to try always succeeds. And obviously, you know, it's like, it's like it's always in the last place you look. Well, obviously, after you succeed, you don't keep going. Um, but there's one uh, story I read because uh, I was looking into the Ashlad because I mentioned in the Loki video that there's at least a theory that a lot of the Ashlad stories are derived from stuff about, you know, OG Loki. Uh, so I was looking into some Ashlad stories and he's not always called the Ashlad. Sometimes they call him John or something else like that. Again, the names don't matter. Uh, and in one of them, I think he's the youngest of seven brothers. And it's like... You know, it doesn't have to be three as long as all the older ones fuck up in their own way. Uh, and in this case, it's uh, they actually all fuck up at once. Uh, I believe in that story, like the six older brothers go off to find some brides and then uh, they all get turned to stone by a giant. And then the youngest, humblest one has to go off and rescue them. And obviously he does. And he gets a princess in the bargain, too, because it's a folktale. Um, I feel like that could be like the premise for a television show where oh, every yeah. season is one very standard myth, but instead of, like, two brothers trying and failing before the third one, the first, like, 19 episodes are the first 19 brothers' attempts using different means to solve a problem and failing, and then the season finale is the kid who makes it work. <laughs> God, that sounds 
agonizing to watch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, maybe it'd work better yeah. as digital shorts. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, or like little two-minute animatics or something. Yeah. But yeah, um, folktales, you know, very fun. I, I can understand why they have that, you know, Sith Thompson folklore classification thing. Because really, it, it, you know, you can put a number on every single piece and then assemble it like a piece of Ikea furniture and it'll it'll work just fine. Um Oh, Which I, Ikea I, furniture isn't numbered. <laughs> it's well, way more so, complicated than that. Well, you see, that <laughs> well, I, that just shows what I know about furniture assembly. Uh, I, can, can you tell I just moved, audience? <laughs> uh, you think you know Ikea? You fool. Uh, but yeah, no, folktales are uh, very interesting. I, I can understand why pretty much continuously writers will be like, what if we took a folktale, but then did more interesting stuff with it? Because it's like, yeah, that's just how folktales work, my dude. Um, what I do think is fun is uh, there's, well, Russian folktales. Like, frequently, you know, it, it's the same kind of like, oh, a lot of times the characters aren't named. With Russian folktales, they are named, but that doesn't make them any less generic. <laughs> um, so, like, the, the, uh, the hero is always named Ivan, which is the Russian equivalent of John. And uh, there's, you know, there's recurring antagonists who, or at least, like, weird, morally ambiguous third parties, like... Uh, Baba Yaga is not pronounced that way, but, you know, Baba Yaga. Um, Koshay the Deathless is my favorite because he's a total weirdo. Uh, and he's, like, everywhere. His Okay, the deal with Koshay the Deathless is he is the guy who took out his heart and hid it somewhere very, very hard to get to. And because of that, he's immortal. He's that guy. So he's everywhere. Um, he's, like, you know, he's, he's Voldemort. He's the Ice King from Adventure Time. He's everybody. And uh, the interesting thing is in that, in that Seven Brothers myth I, or folktale I found, uh, the bad guy is not Koshe the Deathless, but has his exact same method of immortality down to every specific detail. Like, it's in an egg, in a duck, in a well, in a church, on an island, in a lake, in another lake. It's like all that stuff. It's great. Um, folktales are bananas, man. And, and, the funny thing is when you're looking at myths from the top down and you're like, oh, there's a weird connecting through line here. What does it mean? It often means there was some kind of like complex cultural exchange hundreds of years prior. And that's what the comparative mythology scholars are constantly going on about. With folktales, it's like, oh, these two stories have the exact same wacky detail. Yeah, that's Western Europe for you. Anyway, <laughs> it's very fun. I'm having a good time. Uh, um, and Eastern. <laughs> yeah, and Eastern. Yeah, there, there's, there's a little less, but you know, it, all those stories, you know, they move around yeah. just incredibly fluidly. It, it's fascinating. There, there's, I'm sure there's like a whole field just studying how they evolved, um, which is pretty neat. So, yeah, there's uh, pretty much an infinite corpus of literature to draw on here. I'm just trying to make sure that it doesn't get too, um, <laughs> too repetitive, because I think maybe the fourth time we deal with three brothers and the youngest <laughs> succeeds in the task, I think people might start getting a little, uh, a little tired. Anyway, that was my video for the uh, for the last couple weeks, and yeah, it was a yours. Fun one. I, I I liked it a lot. And the visuals were cool. A little little linworm in the in the, the bow tie was just oh, oh. so great. He's got to be snazzy. It's his wedding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a wedding and a meal. What a treat. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my my video for uh, the past little stretch uh, was a uh, patron topic. A uh, bit of a challenge. Uh, requested rulers in history who weren't awful mm. uh, uh a a small pool uh, to draw oh, yeah. from but oh, as yeah. i was researching and there are you know there are several people who can genuinely be considered in the you know in, in the wheelhouse of of good rulers who surely were not perfect but who tried a lot harder than uh most other people would ever have cared to um mm. and i had i had several um uh people on the list and i, I had a short list of like you know, like six or seven and eventually i as i got to cyrus and uh eventually saladin i i had notes on them that were like you know what i've got enough notes this can be a video and also they just pair really well because mm. excuse me they're they're both you know from uh, approximately a similar dot on the map so i got to use visuals i love when i get to do that uh but also uh because they fill a similar like thematic spot in transcultural conflicts so like you know cyrus and persia versus you know in case of you know what we're familiar with greece uh is is filtered through a similar lens 
as Saladin and the Ayyubid Caliphate, you know, the Muslims versus the Crusaders. Obviously, a lot of differences between those stories. Uh, if I were mm. a younger historian, I'd say, and look how they're exactly the same. <laughs> I am not that naive anymore. Uh, but they, they thematically occupy a, a similar space, and we can see some, some overlap in the things that they did, and, and they obviously had different priorities, and they were accomplishing different things. Um, but it was just really interesting to, to see how those two characters um, came about, what they accomplished, and, and why the perspective of them on the other side of the, the cultural fence, you know, is the way it is that even though overall there's a big rivalry between, you know, the you know, Crusaders and Muslims, uh, uh, Greeks and Persians, yada, 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 people still have like a, a begrudging respect for, uh, for, <laughs> for the leaders Cyrus and Saladin. Um, so it ended up being very interesting and I, I, I had uh, fun with it despite the fact that I, uh, I guess somewhat famously don't like spending a lot of time talking about specific, you know, great powerful people who single-handedly change the world because usually that's mm. not the case and usually they're so much of a blowhard I don't want to give them any more credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the great man model of history has been debunked so many times you'd think people would stop using it now, but... yeah. So, I mean, granted, I've done that kind of stuff before. I've done Caesar and, and Augustus and Cleopatra, but I usually like to try oh, and yeah. frame those stories in the context of, like, here's the world that they stepped into and here's why they were able to accomplish what they did. Um, you know, granted, yeah. still, but... Um, no, I mean, you know, yeah. it is still important to talk about what those people accomplished, but, you know, the the story is never as simple as this one person did all these incredible things. Like, for for example, most of these people, what they do is sweeping social change, which... You literally can't do alone. Other people yes. need to agree to do that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the idea that, like, this one person was so charismatic that they completely changed the world, like, that's really not how it works. You know, they needed people to help them, and they needed other people to enforce it, and they needed people to agree with them in the first place. And sometimes when people didn't agree with them enough, stabbing happened. You yeah. know, it's just a thing. It's a thing that happens. So, you know, it's easier to focus on one person and just trace out their life and all the stuff that they did yeah. and, and why they're so cool rather than dealing with, like, the people who supported them or the mm -hmm. people who actually enabled them. I mean, you know, one of, like, the one of the simplest ways to see why great man theory doesn't work is just, like, in the last, I don't know, like, 100 years or so, 200 years, actually probably longer, there's been this discussion of how, like, a lot of famous writers, like, it was their wives who actually did the writing down and the <laughs> editing and the everything that turns their rambling mess yeah. into an actually coherent story. You know, exactly. the, 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 you know, the wives and the daughters and like, oh God, uh, is it, oh man, Paradise Lost, like Milton was blind. I think it was his daughters writing the whole thing down as he dictated it, which of course meant they were editing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think, don't necessarily cite me on that. I, uh, I, I would believe but, it. Uh, on the yeah. other side of that coin, uh, Milton wrote a book called Paradise Regained after his wife died, <laughs> yeah. so maybe he's not the Ooh. model here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there, there are all kinds of things. And the, the thing with great man history, beyond being not like historically very insightful, is that the moral of the story is, and here are the five male-coded personality traits <laughs> that you should do if you want to be successful. God. Like, that's not what we're supposed to be taking away from this. So I, no. for, for all those reasons and more, there, uh, there are many problems with, with focusing on a character uh, yeah. as the, the driving force uh, of change. Uh, so yeah. the way that I jump around that is instead of focusing on leaders, I focus on historians instead. And that's why history majors <laughs> are so much fun for me. Um, but yeah, no, in, in, the case of, in the case of Cyrus and Saladin, even though they, they did... Uh, they did murders. They were rulers mm -hmm. who conquered stuff. Uh, yep. you know, as I said in the video, uh, they still have you know traits that we can admire and respect, and we can investigate what they did as like here is what happens when someone is in a fundamentally morally precarious situation, but still tries as hard as they reasonably can to be virtuous. Yep. Not a lot of people do that. Uh -huh. There's a reason <laughs> so it, why the video is not titled Top Unproblematic Faves in History. Yeah. <laughs> One time Cyrus slapped me in the face and it was the coolest thing. <laughs> I haven't like washed my left. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we, uh, when you when you sent me the script, uh, I think I was like, we should probably make it clear that these guys did do bad things. Like <laughs> saying exactly. that they're good rulers doesn't mean they're not people who did bad 
bad yeah. things that just by virtue of being a ruler. I mean, you know, the way you're saying it, like in a fundamentally morally precarious position, when you are a ruler, you are responsible for a lot of people. And practically speaking, you will not be able to help all of them. Uh, yeah. And a lot of the things you do will hurt some of them or all of them. And like, that's that's a tricky position to navigate. And it's difficult to do that while also trying your best to help people. I mean, like, God, that's the plot of basically every boy king narrative written in the last 150 years. It's like, oh, this yeah. is actually harder than I thought. It's not just slaying dragons. I have to do tax policies and stuff. Ah! <laughs> um, yeah, every choice is a trade-off and that's, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you know, when you give somebody that much power and they try to actually do good stuff with it rather than just going power mad and, you know, <laughs> marrying and then executing like eight wives in a row just to pull something out of nowhere you know thin air you know yeah. when someone actually tries obviously it's it does feel a little bit weird to be like oh well won't someone think of these poor unprivileged massively powerful rulers i we judge them so harshly and it's like uh i feel like you know maybe they can dry their tears on the giant money pile yeah. <laughs> or the you know uh but you know it is still important to I think it's important to discuss this specifically because there is this idea, you know, power corrupts and it's like, so so we don't expect these powerful people to ever be good. And it's like, no, you can hold them to standards. There have been powerful people who tried their damnedest to help people and like yeah. fix things. And, and uh, becoming powerful is not an excuse for also becoming a massive dickhead, you know? Yeah. I think uh, holding uh, those uh, up as examples That's one is of the good. things that I really wanted to highlight is that in both the case of, of Cyrus and Salad and Shore, you know, they, they went out of their way to be nice, which is good. A lot of rulers have gone mm -hmm. out of their way to be nice and ended up hurting a lot mm -hmm. more people in the process because they made decisions that made their kingdom fall apart. Machiavelli actually has a chapter <laughs> about that. Uh, a few, Ooh. actually. Um, but <laughs> in the case of, of Cyrus especially, I wanted to really highlight, like, look, yeah, sure, he was nice, but he also implemented policies that kept his empire going way longer than any of these other states would have been able to last. <laughs> so it's it, it's yeah. not just a case of, like, oh, you know, look how, look how kind these people are being. Like, yeah, sure, they were also skilled at their job, uh, and accomplished, uh, and accomplished um, things that they, they wouldn't have been able to do if they didn't have uh, such a perspective on the issue. So one of the things I didn't really mention in the, in the Saladin part of the script is that by Saladin offering in the truce, uh, uh, the Treaty of Arsuf, um, or no, the Treaty of Jaffa, uh, after mm. the Battle of Arsuf, where he was like, yeah, okay, so Crusader kingdoms will exist. They are restricted to the coast. Capture of Jerusalem is recognized. Jerusalem is mine. However, mm. Christian pilgrims can come visit the city, <laughs> which is the one thing you guys wanted. The one thing yep. you, you claimed to want. <laughs> the one noble thing you claimed to want. Uh, so then the wind was completely taken out of the sails of the rest of the Crusades. So the rest of the Crusades don't really meaningfully bother with trying to get Jerusalem. The Fourth Crusade, the stated goal was Egypt. Um, mm. So... It's like by doing something that is on paper very nice of like, oh, yeah, you can come visit like, you know, you know kumbaya, let, let's all be friends. It actually <laughs> accomplishes a diplomatic goal of now they don't have a justification to go fight a war about it. Because if they're trying mm -hmm. to sell this crusade, it's like, well, why do I have to fight for it if I can just go anyway? So it ends up being diplomatically and politically a very smart calculation. So those kinds of things are what's most interesting is looking at the intersection of like a good decision um, for, you know, niceness sake and a good decision for strategy sake. And that's that's where the good stuff is. That's the real cool things to get into um, is yeah. looking at the intersection rather than just like, oh my God, and Napoleon was so great. Look at how much he <laughs> conquered. It's like when you measure conquerors by, uh, when you measure rulers by uh, their list of conquered people, um, you're not going to find a, a, a wide catalog of, of people who don't suck on that list. <laughs> yeah. Also, it, it from my limited scope, uh, it does seem to me that a lot of those people who like top the lists of people who conquered a whole bunch uh, couldn't hold on to it for no, even like never. a decade. And and never. sometimes it's like, oh, sometimes they hold on to it until they die and then their heir immediately beefs it. And it's like, it it kind of, it reminds me of those stories about like those people who make like ridiculous amounts of money and can't hold on to any of it. You know, it's yeah. like, you, you gotta, you gotta approach this like it's a thing you need to maintain and take care of. You know, yeah. it's like, you can't just, you know, swan about cause you're like, oh, I, I conquered you know, the entire Mediterranean. Yeah, but the Mediterranean's big. How are you going to hold on to it? You're just one guy. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's it's yeah. very telling when, you know, a lot of the, these big famous figures that everyone, you know, heaps praise onto, uh, uh, it, it all falls apart uh, at the end mm. or shortly after them. Uh, oh. Napoleon, Genghis Khan, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so yeah. uh, that's Caesar. that. I, I ended up um, surprisingly having fun with that video. Uh, yeah. I was I was expecting it to be uh, tough, but uh, mm. it ended up being a fun challenge. And I've got material for future ones because there are actually more than two good rulers in history. So <laughs> I will end up building that out into a sub-series. I swear, History Hijinks is just like the the font of all my future sub-series. They all start <laughs> off as hijinks and it's like, oh, actually, I can do something with this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But Perfect. That was fun. I think... Um, Got nothing to announce. It's a fairly quiet month for OSP, all things considered. So I think yeah. we can <laughs> hop on over into the Q&A section of the podcast. Yeah. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We're here to answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord and give you some advice, some weird um, conversation topics, some fun and funky facts. But first off, we're going to answer a question from one of our patrons. If you want to support the channel, support the podcast, head over to Patreon and consider becoming one of our members on there uh, for a chance for your question to be read first on the podcast. This question comes from Alex Supreme PS4 to everyone. What cities have caught your guys' attention that make you want to visit? A city you've never been to before. It can be cosmopolitan or even just a small villa town. So somewhere you want to go that you've never huh. been to. Oh, that I've never been to before. <laughs> I hmm. I really want to go to Malta um, because it's just, after I did that video on it, I'm like, oh my, I need to go here. Uh, <laughs> it seems like everyone who lives in Malta saw that video based on the comments that I got. Uh, oh, funnily enough, I actually had, I, I was wondering if I'd ever had an excuse to talk about this. I, I had a dream like a week and a half ago where I was visiting Malta um, and I got off the, like the airport and the security guy was like, be careful going out after dark. We've had an increase in incidents of Yakuza activity. I'm like, you mean to tell me that <laughs> in Malta, culturally and geographically very close to Italy, the main mob presence is the Yakuza? The Maltese God, Yakuza? So. <laughs> That's the funniest thing. I, so I'm like, okay, nighttime shit. Got to go back to the airport. I don't want to get got by is... the Maltese Yakuza. <laughs> your brain's manufacturing plot hooks, my dude. Exactly. <laughs> that like, guy's got an explanation point over his head. You're, you're joking, but I'm 90% sure in middle school I watched an anime with that exact goddamn plot. <laughs> Is that oh just what God. JoJo's is about? I'm pretty sure that's just what JoJo's is oh, about. Oh, don't. Uh, <laughs> well, mm. who the fuck does? Why am I? Why am I humming and hawing like I have any fucking clue what the plot of JoJo it's is? It's best not to summon the JoJo fans, but uh, Malta seems like a good city. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, let's see. Um, I want to go to Reykjavik, but that's mostly because I want to uh, go to Iceland. Yes. Uh, I want to go to anywhere in New Zealand, even though I can't name a single city in New Zealand. I'm so sorry, our New Zealand peeps. <laughs> I've never been. I want to fix that. Christchurch, Auckland, the... Wellington. Uh, in... Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. That's um, no, not in, in linear order. Hobbiton's still a place <laughs> there, right? I, I don't know how I feel about visiting there, like, morally, you know, what with all the stuff about the anyway that's its own thing the problem is like there's places i want to visit but most of them aren't cities like i don't, I don't mind cities I, I i really do enjoy cities but when i go somewhere i usually want to like camp or something um so it's like oh i want to go to the city and then leave uh but you know it's i also haven't done as much you know like international travel as i want to so there's, there's places i want to go just to have gone mm -hmm. yeah. and man reasons, i'm so excited to be vaccinated yeah one of the reasons uh, iceland is so fun is because you do have a little bit of both reykjavik is is such a wonderful city but it's also small and walkable so you really get the sense that you can kind of see the whole thing uh mm. uh and and, and get a, a comfort and familiarity with it but then also you can get on a bus and get like as little as, as 45 minutes out of town uh, or like six days by car out of town and just see <laughs> endless natural beauty uh, across yep. the, the country. Uh, and it's great. It's so yeah. fun. Uh, absolutely love it there. Cyan and I had a wonderful time on our, uh, our post-graduation trip. Hell yeah. yeah. I don't know. Indigo, uh, what about it's you? It's going to happen. Uh, I mean, yeah. the first one that pops into mind is the one city I didn't get to when I was in China just kind of because of time constraints is I really wanted to go to Xi'an. Uh, check out, you know, all the there's a lot of really cool historical sites there and the food is chef's kiss um mm. 
But I also really have only traveled internationally either to Edinburgh or China. And so really any other city in the world is that an option. Um, I've never been anywhere in Italy or Greece. And I have like family both places. So I would really love to go either to Athens or I don't know. I guess I should say Venice because I feel like otherwise Blue will leap through the screen. No, no. There are plenty of good options. Venice is... You have to be ready for Venice. If you just go mm-hmm. not knowing what's going on, you will have a terrible time because I had a terrible time the first time I went to Venice. Uh, uh, you have to know time. exactly what's up and you have to like know what you're getting into. Otherwise, you'll have what was my first experience, which was why is it so crowded and dirty and it seems like there's one place where everybody's trying to go, and I don't get why this is so important. What's the big deal? Literally, it was like, what's the big deal? And then yeah. I, I had someone explain it to me, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And then and, and, and then it started. Um, so the second time I came to Venice, I'm like, okay, wait, now I get it, and now I have to see everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, I thought of one, uh, another one. Uh, there's this small town in uh, Scotland called Stirling. Uh, it's kind of on the border between the Highlands and the Lowlands. It's where the Scottish branch of my family is from, yeah. and I've always just kind of wanted to go just to see, like, I, I, you know, I, I, my, my family's from a lot of different places. <laughs> uh, most of them I'm unlikely to go to, but that one I was like, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to go to that area anyway, and I'm, I'm curious. Oh, yeah, you know, Stirling Castle's like one of the most famous castles in Scottish history. Yeah, I don't think that was our castle. I, I think, oh, surely I think not, that clan it's close. was like, the, <laughs> as I recall, it was like one of the weenie offshoots of Clan McDonald. There was like a bunch of them, and you know how they do. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so would be fun. Like to see a castle, yeah. hang out in Scotland. Yeah. You know. I think we're all just, just very yeah, eager to yeah. travel again uh, once everyone. Yeah. Gets yes, my God. The thing is, is that. After a certain point, there are kind of no wrong answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's something yeah. that you're interested in, like read a little bit about it, you know, watch a Rick Steves video for it if it's somewhere in Europe, and then just, like, just go, just have fun. Mm-hmm. Like, don't yeah. don't let anyone travel shame you into going or not going into a place <laughs> you want. Travel shame? Um, yeah. Like, ugh, travel's so good. Like, take, you know, all the time you can and just, like, go hang out somewhere and, and, and have, <laughs> have a good time. Ugh. Yeah. So many good options. If possible. And be safe. Yeah, be safe. Get vaccinated, wear a mask. And that's the thing is, like, you don't need to go all the way around the world. Like, you know, Cyan and I, um, last summer, you know, we couldn't really, like, you know, leave our home state. Um, like, no one could. Uh, you know, we took a trip <laughs> within our state and saw a place that we never would have seen before. And it's like, oh, my God, like, this rules. Like, why have we never been here before? So you don't have to go far to get a brand new experience. You can even, you know, within a city, you can do that kind of stuff sometimes. So, you know, people talk about, like, you know, travel, go here, go there. And, like, obviously, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is very, very different that you'll only see when you can, you know, cross national borders maybe jump over an ocean or two but you know the mindset of discovering new things uh does not require traversing great distances it just requires getting out of your comfort zone and that can be across the street down the block you know anything really yeah so i think the answer to this question is go uh binge watch rick steve's youtube channel yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah excellent well this next question comes from Boshua. To Red and Blue, due to your opinions on podcasts before you started doing them yourselves, was your opinion on streaming similar until you started streaming? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we were kind of just neutral on streams. Yeah. Um, like, I, I didn't tend to watch people live streaming, but, like, I, you know, I follow a bunch of channels that would post archives of their streams, and I would often watch through those. Um, and I, 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 I think mostly had... when, we were, when we started... Go ahead. I was going to say, I never really had any strong thoughts about it one way or another. But when I first started doing it was when I got uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey because I'm like, I want to play this game so badly uh, and I will take <laughs> like two weeks out of my work schedule to do it. But I want to like still be doing something halfway productive. So I'm like, yeah, I can just stream it. You know, PlayStation <laughs> makes it super easy. I was like, oh, off I yeah. go. Uh, and then I didn't really have super strong feelings about it. It's just like, oh, this is like a fun way to to create content while otherwise just doing what is essentially free time activity. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think we, we'd we already done a couple of gaming things on the channel, but yeah. we basically recorded those and yeah. then had, like, edited them together pre- and then posted them. This, yeah, and this was like, this... I think the main concern was honestly just like, oh, God, it's going to be live. What if we mess up? And, you know, that yeah. <laughs> that never went away. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, think, I think our attitude towards podcasts was more like, um, oh, man... I, I think for me, at least, it was just like I, I didn't really have the attention span for them, so I, I couldn't really watch them or li- pfft, 
listen to them yeah. most of the time. Uh, and, you know, I don't have a work commute, so I didn't really have a time slot where I could do nothing but just listen to podcasts. And there was kind of this this joke kind of going around of, like, everyone and their grandmother is starting a podcast, uh, you know, like, ah, uh, yes, I believe you refer to a small group of white guys as a podcast and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So so I was just kind of like, Haha, that'll never be me. And uh, then, you know, we all know how that went. But, yeah. you know, it, it was just, I, I think we were kind of like, we had a concept of what it looked like to just start a podcast on the side and we were like I don't think we want to do that but then we did this instead which isn't at all what we <laughs> what we were really conceiving of and you know there, there's tons of good podcasts out there no shade mm-hmm. I just didn't listen to most of them yeah. and I, I was in a very specific space of like the the temptation to create a podcast is just like an ego trip where I could just ramble about stuff uh, was was always present and and I was I was rejecting that dark reflection of myself and it came out as increased aggression towards the concept of podcasts <laughs> overall you know yes I remember we like, always hate the things my, we see in ourselves yeah my my <laughs> early exposure to podcasts was like those true crime ones about mm. the unsolved oh, murders yeah. and then the um like. Welcome to like Night vale. Raven Loft or, or whatever. Um, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> you were uh, so. Is it Welcome to Night Vale? Night Raven Loft is a D module. Just pick the same D&D four D&D words and you'll get like a evil Victorian sounding place. Welcome, yeah. Raven Loft is Victorian sounding, but Night Vale is not. <laughs> is it not? Night Vale is like, mo- is Night like, Al- like modern surrealist or something. Like Appalachia, oh. Eldritch like Horror. Eldritch Stutter. I don't know. Yeah, that well, like, kind it of sounds thing, like know. it could be a Victorian Gothic horror. Oh, whatever. Uh, yeah, it does. It does. That's fair. not blues. Uh, yeah, to be fair. In in your defense, Night Vale and Ravenloft. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you break them down, I can see why why yeah. your brain would volunteer one for the other. Yeah, I was trying not to. I was like, which one's the name of the level in Half Life Two? Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know which one that is. But it's not far. Uh, it's all like the same. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, and then we got off on a tangent, yeah. so I think we can skip to the next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all right, we'll jump away from uh, streams that somehow ended up being about podcasts and move on to this question from Mega Bland Fox. he, him, too, read, what is something that you like about math? We rag oh. on math a lot when you're not around, and so I feel it is only fair that we give you an opportunity <laughs> to defend your stance. <sighs> That's rude. Um, yeah, I... I mean, it's the most basic answer. I really like how just math makes sense. You know, everything in it fits together. If you have first principles, you can basically derive everything and it all fits and there's no weird contradictions and there's like, there's no just lost knowledge where we'll never be able to know what this branch of math is. It's it's all axiomatic and it all makes this kind of perfect crystalline sense. And uh, that's unfortunately also the attitude I take when trying to understand the rest of the world. And it applies to nothing other than math. Which is tragic, but yeah, no. What what I what I like about math is that you know, the rules are rules, and and nothing really ever breaks them. There's weird shit in there, and it's not like knowing a little math means you, you understand, you know, the the handwriting of God, as that one guy in Pacific Rim said. But it's uh, it's, it makes sense when most things don't, and I really like that. So. Yeah, yeah. This next question comes from I'm not here now. To all, what instruments have you been taught how to play? Can you still play them? Pass. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I had my obligatory like two months of piano lessons as like a six-year-old, uh, but that didn't really go anywhere. Uh, and then I did uh, singing in uh, in high school uh, as my my music credit in middle school too, um, because I didn't want to bother with lugging an instrument around. So I sang. <laughs> uh, I let's see. Obviously, started off with recorder. Everyone in my middle school mm-hmm. did. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then when we did a band, I played the flute actually. Uh, and then I started taking guitar lessons, like I don't know, fifth grade. Uh, and I, I was like learning, like acoustic Spanish finger picking. And then uh, we were also doing, like, rock band stuff in school for assemblies, so I also picked up a little electric. But foolishly, I assumed that they are the same skill, and they're not. (laughs) Playing an acoustic and electric are only nominally similar experiences. (laughs) Um, Fun fact, apparently tuning an electric guitar is about three times more complicated than tuning an acoustic, and nobody warned me. Um, But, uh, 
Yeah, and I, I did singing, um, obviously. I still do, uh, yeah. although, you know, <laughs> there's some debate over the quality. But yeah, yeah, uh, it was just kind of recorder, flute, and then a standard suite of rock band stuff, so... That was my deal. Yeah, uh, I was last chair in third grade orchestra for cello, and I don't know how to play it currently. Um, <laughs> I don't really know how to sing either, but that has never stopped me at karaoke or while playing a bard in D&D before, and that is how I plan oh, to live yeah. my life forever. So um, we've got one definite good member for a School of Rock-style talent show band. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably throw Blue up as like our lead singer, but we'd have to like give some got like <laughs> choral influences, which could be cool. We we would not place first, uh, <laughs> no, but no. we would have a great time doing it. <laughs> Boy, would we! Oh, absolutely. The that's what, I, what I what I like. Well, I was gonna say what I like about the electric guitar is that like with acoustic, you know, with finger picking, it, it's it's intricate, and if you mess up, you know, people can hear. With a with an electric. You can just like crank the distortion pedal, play the four chords of pop, and you are golden. You will sound fine. <laughs> There's a reason why, anyway, here's Wonderwall is like the stereotype. Admittedly, most of those guys are on acoustic, but you know, it's not like you can go wrong playing chords on an acoustic either. Yeah. It's just fun, you know? It's, it's really easy to produce a rock sound, and I think that's nice. It's, you know, good point of entry. Well, this next question comes from Luole Long, two red and blue. What is something you've learned about yourselves through research and study in your respective fields? Uh, myself. <laughs> my attention span's not as good as I thought it was. Mm. But once I focus, oh baby, I can't pump the brakes on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of made us like better at stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean much in the way of, you know, shocking insights <laughs> via introspection. Yeah, I, um, I don't know about me personally, but I guess more like experientially. Nothing will will knock a prejudice out of your head faster than learning the history behind, mm. you know, different cultures. Um, not that I consider myself a very prejudiced person, but, you know, ev oh, everyone man. has the things that they are subconsciously exposed to. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. why do I think that? Like, oh, heck. Uh, <laughs> um, so that, that that's one thing. But in terms of, like, me personally, I don't know if I can come up with anything off the, uh, off the, the top of my head. Um, I've learned from doing the podcast that I'm bad at answering questions when I'm put on the spot. <laughs> I don't know if that applies to my, my research process and the history stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think um, <laughs> I, I learned over time that a lot of my humor was like referential and I kind of wanted to pull back from that mm -hmm. because, you know, pointing out something else that was funny is not actually a particularly useful form of comedy in a lot of contexts. Like it works in a lot of ways, but it doesn't age particularly well. And a lot of what we kind of try to do with the channel is make videos that, you know, work for a while at least. Yeah. Like, um, like every video has like, have... you know, four years in it, uh, in the tank, uh, least, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, you know, theoretical rewatch value. Yeah. Uh, and I think at some point I realized that a lot of my comedy was just like reminding people of other funny things. And so I kind of tried to pull back from that and start doing things that were independently funny if possible. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that was something I learned about myself. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like yeah. I've learned that the way that I speak is very strange. Like the way that I oh, construct no. sentences. It's not like, like, oh, whoa, what's he up to? But the way that I will string together very large words and then very dumb words. Uh, like, uh, you know, Dude, describing... guilty is charged. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the whole premise of the channel. But uh, the way that yeah. I like looking at my script and like talking about... Um, uh, you know, explaining you know the way that uh, you know hi uh, historical figures uh, are only uh, known to their people by the faces struck on coins, which archaeology informs us was sometimes more than a little smushy. Like, it, <laughs> like it, it's it's a perfect use of the word, but it's like the the sentence around it is so highly constructed, and then like the punchline of the sentence is the word smushy. It's like yeah, okay. it just makes sense and it, it fits together. Um, it's like whenever I whenever I watch. Um, YouTube videos by um, historical uh, uh, costuming, uh, you know, enthusiast, uh, creator, researcher, Bernadette Banner. Um, the mm -hmm. way that she talks is like, like modern lingo paired with like very eloquent, like, you know, erudite phrasings and just like the, the, the juxtaposition of those two is absolutely wild sometimes. So that is, that is what I aspire to be uh, in my mm -hmm. eloquence. <laughs> I think you're just running into sort of that that 
uncanny valley tomato in the mirror problem where you're like you know it's your own personal style it's what a lot of people identify as your thing and you're weirded out by it because you're not used to seeing it from the outside yeah, exactly like, it's fine and it's very <laughs> functional and there's nothing wrong with it i don't think anyone thinks it's weird uh but it it is definitely the kind of thing it can startle you the first time you really kind of click into it and you're like whoa that's me that's yeah. crazy i, I mean you know maybe not weird but recording first idiosyncratic time perhaps <laughs> yeah 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 Huh. Yeah, lots of lots of learning going on. I think you guys, your personalities are very well suited to the kind of like fields that you're in in a lot of ways. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, not quite the large personal revelation so much as I think lots of little <laughs> huh idiosyncrasies. Um, yeah, syncrasies. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Because if you don't Officer, call me on I it like now, to report a murder. <laughs> if you don't call me on it now, the group chat will like. As soon as this episode goes, <laughs> look. I listen. I have been watching nothing but college humors. Um, actually, yes. for a week straight, it has made me sixteen times more insufferable to deal with. <laughs> Incredibly so. There is nothing I want more in life than to go on the show. I'm um, actually and have Mike Trapp tell me I'm a nerd. That is, I will know yes. I have peaked <laughs> as someone in this industry uh, when I hear Mike right. Trapp say, am, you are a nerd. Listen, I'm three years late to the party, but one of those had a thing that I knew and they got wrong. It was a, it was the D&D monsters thing. They were like, oh, which of these is based on folklore? Uh, and someone was like the well, or, or which of these are original to D and D? And someone's like the Tarask and Mike's trying. Oh, the Tarask is original to D and D. It's like it's not. There's a French folktale about it. How could you? So uh, yes. yeah, that's my um actually for the week. I'm like two years late to the party, and someone's probably already tweeted this at you like 16 times. But you have to know that I knew. Yes, for any of these. It might show up in a later episode because they do have corrections sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the joke line is Mike traps like some of you tweeted corrections. Thanks, dumbasses. <laughs> Are you Thanks, even still like, filming those, though? I, I thought that... I, I mean, have no I idea. Know still... yeah, yeah. Who knows? Well, anyway, now the world knows. <laughs> anyway. Now, it's very important to me that you all know that I knew. Yes, and you can go watch the video where the Tarask features on the channel if you want more on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we have an we episode, have a whole on, episode on it. Yeah. But it doesn't really look like the D and D version, but that's, that's okay. okay. Um, speaking of things that don't look like the D and D version, this actually is not a segue that makes any sense at all. But I'm just going to read another question now. Uh, this comes from Dragon Kid 106. To all, what is your worst nightmare? Um, I'm realizing now uh -huh. that this is asking you like greatest fear. But when I wrote this question down, my thought was, oh, what's like a weird dream? <laughs> so feel free to answer well, either version because I misinterpreted this. Huh. I'm terrified that I'm going to get got by the Maltese Yakuza, but that's that's pretty recent. <laughs> I don't know about worst fear, but definitely most proximate. <laughs> mm. This one's surprisingly tricky. <laughs> um, uh... I have an answer. It's a little weird, and I kind of need you to stick with me on this one. All right, I'm going to okay. say a sentence, okay. and you're going to immediately zone. I need you to just stick through to the end, okay? Yep. Yep, we got it. I, okay. This is a okay. real thing that's been happening to me. I have had this nightmare multiple times in real life. The dream starts where I wake up and I have Tony Hawk's job, but I have my current level of skateboarding ability, which is to say none. <laughs> and so I have to do like increasingly more difficult skateboard tricks, except I don't know how to skateboard. And everyone around me is like Tony Hawk's posse, because I assume in my dream that he has a posse. Uh, and they're all like hyping me uh -huh. up to do like increasingly more dangerous skateboard tricks. And I keep failing at them. And the dream always ends where I'm at like the top of a cartoonishly high half pipe. And I am about to drop in. Mm -hmm. I'm also afraid of heights. And so I have to drop into this <laughs> half pipe that I assume Tony Hawk could drop into, but I, Indigo, could not. And uh, the dream always ends when I'm like midway through dropping down the half pipe. I feel like your brain just invented a Tony Hawk version of, like, the Shakespeare twin comedy. Where yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what that is. That's wild. Uh, it's like Plautus's Manike Me, except one of you is Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, what, I, like, well, that is delightful. I brought this up to some coworkers recently, and they, they pro prompted the question of, like, do you think Tony Hawk has a reoccurring nightmare where he wakes up as a 20-something editor and has to edit podcast <laughs> audio 
I'm like, I don't know. Tony, if you're out there, like, let who us are know. these nerds? <laughs> these guys crosstalk so much. What are they doing? Crazy. But uh, I don't think that that's okay. what the uh, question asker wanted from this prompt. But I can definitely give my my weirdest because I, I you know I think there's a general space of just like existential fears of like oh you know being alone or you know just death in general or anything like that or Lovecraftian you know, fears like air conditioning <laughs> yeah yeah you know perfectly reasonable thing is to be concerned about um I think it, most of those don't like super bother me on a visceral level what does freak me out is clipping errors this is going to sound batshit but like I first discovered this in the early days of like Google Earth. And I like somebody I was hanging out with like angled the camera down too far and like clipped through the planet. And I was like, fuck! And I didn't understand what was wrong, but I just felt the bottom drop out. And like, I don't know, man. I know that I live in a very solid reality where things are real and that doesn't happen, but it doesn't matter. Like, this is such a wild phobia. It cannot have existed before the invention of 3D modeling. And yet... It sounds similar to it's... if you're, like, on a, the moment before a roller coaster goes downhill, like, when your stomach kind of drops, though. Like, it sounds like it's creating a similar response. Well, that's the physical sensation. Uh, and it definitely is about falling through things. It's not like, I'm not as freaked out about clipping through walls, you know? Like, I can watch the Kitty Pride scenes and anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, um... And, and you know what's interesting? It's not even, like, about phasing through stuff, because there's that one episode of Batman Beyond where the guy starts becoming intangible and can't control it, and he falls into the center of the earth. And I was just like, ha, get fucked. I didn't, like, it didn't freak me out. But the clipping issues, like, the idea that I could, like, you know, lie down wrong, and suddenly I'm staring through, like, the planet... That freaks me out, and it's interesting because uh, I've been I've been watching a lot of like Point Crow, and he does a lot of those like glitch videos. Breath of the and Wild the glitches time... are all clipping. Yes, like some of oh, them are fun. No. Some of them is like he's spawning something in, but then he's like, "Let's clip through the map," and I'm like, "Please don't." <laughs> I don't know, man. It it freaks me out for some yeah. for some yeah. nameless reason. Um, so that's me, I yeah. guess. <laughs> All right, we've got Tony Hawk and clipping through the world. What about you, Blue? Y uh, Maltese Yakuza, <laughs> yeah. I told you. We got oh, our that's right, that's covered. right, the Maltese, Maltese Yakuza. Maltese Yakuza, All right. Tony Hawk, and clipping errors are the three greatest fears. <laughs> I, okay, th this is going to be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, if you guys you know, go on the OSP subreddit, there's, there's one user who will create like image collages of OS podcasts out of context. I am here. Oh I record the podcasts. <laughs> I do not understand the collages at all. <laughs> this one's going to be weirder than normal, I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, I will be severely oh, disappointed God. if there is not a photo of Tony Hawk in this one. Uh, I'm not afraid of him. I I'm afraid tell. of He's being almost completely him. unrecognizable. You know? <laughs> um, all right, well, we've got time for, I think, just about one more question before we wrap up. And I feel like it's been a while since we've touched on this, so let's... Let's spend some time with our old friend, the Time Heist, shall we? Um, this question. Oh, <laughs> what worlds are left to conquer now that the trailer already exists? <laughs> <laughs> this question comes from Blue Flame Prime. To all, just like Marvel, would you have an end credit scene leading to Time Heist 2? So, Time Heist 1 is concluded. Everyone's sitting in the theater. They're watching our credits scroll by. What's that end credit scene that seeds all roads lead to Rome? You know, where are we? How are we sneaking that in? Hmm. I think that's got to be Julius Caesar finding, like, the time travel remote control or something. Yeah, that, that, that's like the he, obvious yeah. choice. Um, it is. But, because, like, there, there are two schools of end credit scene. There's, like, you know, set up the sequel, or there's just, like, random bullshit. Mm. That, like, in Ant-Man 2, where it's just, like, the ant on the drum kit, where it's, like, serves oh, yeah. absolutely no point, but like, narratively excellent. or anything. Like, what's the, like, sure, we can have, like, Julius Caesar picking up the remote to the time machine, but, like, what's the nonsense A lot of times, version end of, scenes, of the post-credit scene? They ha the nonsense ones will have, mm -hmm. like, just a quick cameo of, like, a beloved but niche character that isn't really worth being in the full, like, there was, like, a Howard the Duck cameo in one end credit scene at one point. Yeah. Like, what is, like, we could go the yeah. route of, like, what's a niche historical figure that isn't really going to be featuring in the movie heavily, but would be fun to play with in that sort of universe as a way of doing it. Hmm. Well, I also, like, I feel like the simple thing to do, the thing that they mostly do with time plots, is that uh, the end credits or whatever reveal that the timeline has been shifted in some mm. way. Um, 
You know, like you come back. I mean, that's what they did at the end of Umbrella Academy season, whatever. And it's like, oh, you come back and you're like, wow, I'm so glad that everything's totally fine and normal. And then something happens and you're like, oh, no, and it's the rest of the credits roll. You know, that would be like the easy way to do it. Um, but I'm not sure how. I feel like, I mean, the standard, oh, the future is different now thing is like Zeppelins. You okay, know? concept. There's Zeppelins concept. out there. The, the, yeah. the post-credit scene is Da Vinci like tinkering away at something on a desk uh just like working at something you know fire late you know very like quaint and and you know whatever uh-huh. uh and then he he like puts something away he gets up and just walks out the room and as the camera pans it shows like a gramophone a fucking steam engine <laughs> like a rifle and like all this yeah. crazy stuff that he just saw in the present and then like figured out how to reverse engineer <laughs> i want honestly that works uh, you could also have it so that he's tinkering away, and then like a like a Terminator style time portal opens behind him, and the Terminator walks out. <laughs> okay, I think they'd be besties. I think they'd get on great. Riddle, riddle me this though: T- the portal opens, yeah. a Terminator like figure walks through it, uh, but instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's like a Mona Lisa lookalike, and he's like, "Oh, I knew you'd come back for me." <laughs> like that's why the Whoa. painting was ever. <laughs> I mean, that's what I call a sequel hook because it's utterly batshit and the speculation would go (laughs) wild. Right? And then it's just Da Vinci and the Robo Mona Lisa for the next movie. Yeah, because again, she is the Terminator, but it's Mona Lisa. That's why her smile was always a little uncanny valley because it was actually, she was actually a robot the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and as we all know from Terminator 2, mm. when the Terminator attempts to smile with teeth, it looks very disturbing, so she just has to do the little, like, corner-mouth quirk to be like, oh, yeah, this is, this is how humans yep. do. Show me the smile. I uh, got way more extreme than my version. <laughs> I was just going to be like, oh, Da Vinci, like, sets time forward a few centuries by inventing, <laughs> like, like fun, like, 17, 18, 1900s stuff, but no, Terminator, Well, maybe apparently. he's also yeah. doing that, and the Terminator Mona Lisa shows mm. up. But Da Vinci as our tech guy has a lot of, like, latitude. Because the tech guy is always in the end credit scene for some... Because they're always kind of, like, doing other stuff on the side. So there's a lot of latitude with Da Vinci mm. to, like, have stuff going on. Or, how about this? Like, the, the Mona Lisa Terminator takes, like, one step into Da Vinci's office, looks left, looks right, and then we cut to Da Vinci pulling down a lever, and then, like, a, just a giant fucking cannonball shoots her off the side. <laughs> and Da Vinci's like, ha-ha. <laughs> Try better I've next had time. years to prepare. I'm smiling now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, all right. The plot twist at the end is Da Vinci invents a rail gun. <laughs> How do you say who's smiling now in Italian blue? Because I, I don't speak it. Oh, God. I don't know what the word for smile is, but it's... Oh. Um, uh, uh, it's key fine. something order, but yeah, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll just have it subtitled. It'll be yes, great. it'll be yeah. subtitled um, on this podcast. <laughs> or like Da Vinci's tinkering away at something normal, like an ornithopter, and then like there's a ringing noise, and he pulls out like a modern iPhone and is like, "Hello." <laughs> no, I'm busy. <laughs> Gaza. <laughs> what do you mean Caesar found the time machine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Excellent. Or it's. It, it like there's a like an intertemporal group chat going. She's like pinging It's like the end of uh, Into Joan the Spider Verse. Like, rolls you over know? in her war tent. Yeah, yeah, they got yeah. the text chain. Joan of Arc rolls over in her tent, and she's got the she's got the phone just <laughs> pinging, and she's like, "Some of us have a day job." <laughs> uh, or it's like you know, well, you know, Da Vinci has his like iPhone and everything. Uh, there's just like a Starbucks cup on the table, like Game of Thrones, except this time it actually makes sense <laughs> in universe. <laughs> yes. Oh no! Perfect. Well, that is. Or uh, we just go full, full, full nuts, uh, and uh, and the end credits scene is uh, Dracula has shown up yes. somewhere, like the actual Dracula, but he's <laughs> also actually a vampire. Like we go full Dracula retold, where he's both Vlad Tepish and a real ass vampire, <laughs> and he just yeah. like shows up somewhere. A Chiron pops up, Transylvania, but then the year is like 2016, and that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's in a business suit, mm-hmm. of course, because, you know, modern yeah. Dracula needs the suit. Yep. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, God. Man. I think we should go full Monster Mash for the second one, or the third one. So so, so it's Time Heist 2, All's Words Leads Our Own. Time Heist 3 is the Monster Mash one. Yeah, it's um, basically just Van Helsing at that point. It's like, all right, we got the... Yeah, but we make the antagonist, hear me out, we make the antagonist Victor Frankenstein. Ooh, yes, because I mean, fuck that you guy. have to. 
yeah. who's been sending all of these choice. horrible creations to torment Europe. Oh, we'll give you one guess. <laughs> and he probably doesn't even remember. He's like, oh, I don't know. I, I got really sad, and then I took a nap, and then some people got murdered, but I wouldn't know anything about that. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh excellent. Well, those uh, cursed right. ideas aside, that is about all the time we have for today. So, Red, you ready to take us out this time? No. <laughs> Why would I be? <laughs> um <laughs> thank you all so much for listening as always uh if you like this uh and want more we have more episodes we also have the channel it's its own thing i, I assume do we link that in the show notes or do we just assume all of that information will be linked in the show notes below. awesome all right uh if you have a question for the pod uh you can post it on our discord in the ask Us pod channel for a chance for it to be featured in the podcast where we do podcast things. Um, until that podcast, <laughs> I have been red. I've been blue. <laughs> and this has been a, a podcast of the Overly Sarcastic Productions variety. How many times have we done this? <laughs> uh, 17, I think. Never but enough. I was gone for a couple of those. Never yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on May 26th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out OSP on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OSPod on Discord for a chance to be featured on a future episode. Want to support the show? Please rate us or leave a review or consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below. And if your name is Tony Hawk, please consider sending some skateboard advice.